Well, we made it another week, Mike. We did. They have not kicked us off the air yet. No, well, this is not the University of Missouri, so uh, we're good in that regard. No, but if you hurt my feelings, I'm going to call I'm going to call the police. Oh. Although I think the Philadelphia police. You know what the most ridiculous one out of yesterday, though, was the, the, the Raiders player who is being investigated for a third-degree felony for taunting a police officer. dog. Yes. Think about that. Not an officer. A dog. And I, I just, I don't see why he can't just talk to the dog and apologize. <laughs> I mean, seriously, what, like, what's, is it going to, if it goes to trial. Like, who's going to testify? Yeah. You know, they're going to have, they're going to leave like a dish of milk bones on the, on the witness stand. Ah, uh, those to, Hopefully coax the, uh, you know what, those Pittsburghers? Come on up. Yeah. They oh, will, those Yinzers. Those yeah, Yinzers. We love them. Uh, so, the Eagles, they're still alive. And that's a, uh, that's a feat at this point of the season. And you know what's really weird? I, this is obviously revisionist, but when you look at their schedule, hey, you know, we actually, no, forget that. We should give ourselves some credit. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Th- their schedule coming up, man. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, you've got Miami this Sunday, not exactly a team humming on all cylinders. No, a team that's that's lost, like been destroyed by everybody that they played except the two worst teams that they played. Exactly. Uh, you've got Tampa uh, with... You know, Jameis Winston, who is not exactly setting the world on fire no. as a rookie. Which is actually, I mean, given his off the field history, it might be a good thing. <laughs> well, just considering the crab leg signs at the the link in two weeks. But figuratively speaking, you're correct. Yeah. Although I will say this about Tampa, they're getting better. Um, they're actually starting to become, especially defensively. Lovey Smith is doing. Yeah, a Lovey Smith's a real coach. He's, I he's mean, doing a little work there. Yeah, but um, like you said, I mean. They don't scare you. No. And then, I mean, look over the rest of their schedule. Yeah, you got to go to Foxborough to play the Patriots, and that's in all likelihood going to be a loss. But the rest of their schedule is such that you're, you're looking at it going, oh, wow, they got Atlanta out of the way early. Atlanta's a pretty good team. Not as good, maybe, as they were opening night. Um, but, you know, the Giants are strugg- struggled to beat the Bucks. They're coming up. You've got the Redskins again. Uh you know, who else are we looking at? Arizona, I guess, would be. Yeah, a, but Arizona's coming. Arizona coming, coming west. Here. I mean, yeah. you got a lot of games that are at home. Um, you know, I mean, that Patriots game, that that's the only one you look at and you're like, well, I think that they've got a worse than even chance at winning this game. I think everything else is at least 50-50. And, and then you go up to, I mean, Detroit in any other situation except this <laughs> god-awful Detroit. I was trying to find a way to describe them without swearing, and it's very difficult. Um, dead in the water. No, the mo- I mean the most interesting, uh, the most interesting aspect of that game is you know do the feral dogs that run through the streets of Detroit you know do they take Thanksgiving off too? Um, but no, I mean look look at this. I think I do think this. I think it, it is possible to, to get a little carried away with what happened Sunday, given how shorthanded the Cowboys were. You're facing Matt Castle, that sort of thing. And, and I would say that. As the Eagles move forward, I think the most reassuring thing that could happen on Sunday against the Dolphins is that they come out and play just a solid game. Just, you know, Sam Bradford doesn't turn the ball over again as he did, you know, as he went through Sunday. He was terrific Sunday, I thought. Uh, Play that way. You don't have to be terrific. Just solid and reassuring. Uh, You know, if you can put the Dolphins away early or just have the game under control for the most part, I think that would go a long way to to telling people, okay, there's something here, that they're really coming out of that overtime victory out of the Cowboys, over the Cowboys on Sunday, that, okay, that is something to build on now. Yeah, we, we need to see them put together back-to-back complete games. I mean, I, I think that I think Dallas, unless I'm missing a game, was, was I mean, they played a pretty, 
complete game against New Orleans minus the couple of interceptions. Um, but this was this was their one complete game. The turnovers, um, you know, they blocked as well as could be expected. They didn't turn the ball over, did they? No, they uh, they, they blocked, blocked as well as they, they could. run blocked well. They pass blocked well. I thought, um, you know, Greg Hardy was was really not an issue no. all night. Uh, and in fact, Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey, if you listen to him after the game, made a point of making sure he was not an issue. Yeah. Um, you know, a little comeuppance there for uh, the most hated man in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, they were they were solid in every regard with, you know, and if you take away, you know, that's the thing. Like, we, we, you always do that. Like, well, if one, one play here, one play there. Like, well, okay, if you're the Cowboys, like, you scored your third touchdown on a desperation heave by Matt Castle to, uh, to Des Bryant. Um, that's not a play that nine out of ten times is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think every every football game you kind of obviously break down to offense versus defense, defense versus offense, and and while everyone, all the excuses are kind of made on the side of the football that uh, has less to prove. I mean, Matt Castle was not facing the Eagles' offense, and the, the encouraging thing about this game is that the Eagles' offense looks very good against a tough right. defensive line, against a good secondary, against a great you know a very good middle linebacker. Although, you know, yes, yeah, Sean Lee went out of the game, but he was in the game when they ran the ball down their throats on that 13 play drive um in the second quarter so yeah i thought bradford looked as good as 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 he has all all year but i also agree with chip kelly i i think the guy is actually minus the interceptions and i know everyone makes fun of me when i say that but i do think interceptions are a little fluky um at least the kind that sam bradford was throwing yeah Um, i mean you saw i think what you saw was him getting a a representative game out of his receivers in that they helped him. Yeah, Jordan Matthews played good. Jordan Matthews played well. Zach Ertz made a terrific catch on a deep ball on the right sideline. Uh, you know, go up and get it, and and he got it. Um, the, the one drop that stands out to me was the one that Miles Austin made, and, and that play, it turned out, didn't hurt the Eagles because the Cowboys committed a defensive holding penalty on the play anyway. So, um yeah, I want to I want to see more of this. I, I, if, if they have shaken the whole drops thing, and if Bradford really is uh getting acclimated now then maybe he'll just be a little bit better than what he's been through the first seven games yeah i think this game is is the game that will tell you whether you can you're justified in being optimistic that they might be an improving team over the second half of the season or whether they're just kind of that inconsistent team that they've been i mean if they they come out and build upon last week like you said not even come out like gangbusters but but just put together a solid game don't make mistakes don't look like that team that hasn't practiced together that they you know, for a half at a time. Yeah, you know? I, you know, and that's, I don't know how you feel about this. That is, to me, always one of the interesting things to track during any NFL season, you know, particularly recently, because you see this more and more. I, I feel like, I don't have the numbers in front of me to suggest this, but I feel like you see more and more teams that advance deep into the playoffs that pick it up in, from about mid-November on, uh, you saw that with Seattle last year. And really, the, the Patriots as well. Last yeah, year. the Patriots as well. You know, Seattle kind of turned its season. I thought when they beat the Eagles in Philadelphia last year, they really beat them up, beat them twenty-four fourteen, and was like, "Okay, guys, we're back." Basically, because they got Bobby Wagner back at the time, right? Um, their terrific linebacker, and they rode that all the way to the to being within a play of repeating as Super Bowl champions. You saw that with the Packers in twenty ten. You know, Aaron Rodgers gets healthy and suddenly everything clicks and boom, there they go as a wild card team and win the Super Bowl. Baltimore a couple years ago too. Uh, so we're getting to that time of the year and it's, you know, it's easy to sit back in some level and say, well, the Eagles aren't as good as Atlanta because Atlanta beat them. The Eagles uh, aren't as good as this team or that team because they lost to them in the regular season. And that 
all those things may very well be true, but those things can also change at this time of the year and have tended to change at this time of the year. Uh, so we'll see. And I've said this all along. I think it, it, this is an impossible year to predict, and it's the best kind of year for the Eagles because if they're going to, if they are going to surprise people and, and win a Super Bowl without, you know, quote unquote, the guy at quarterback, assuming Sam Bradford is not that guy, this would be the year to do it because as we saw, this Packers, this Packers team is 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 very very mortal right now. I mean, oh they, yeah. They, uh, I mean, my personal belief is that this is just. Mike McCarthy not having elite talent at his disposal and kind of coaching down to his actual level of acumen um, because they have not been able to adapt to, to, to Jordy Nelson not being in there. Um, but w- whatever the reason, you know, we saw Carolina, you know, I mean, the Eagles look like a better team against Carolina than the Packers did. Yeah, they did. They did. I mean, it's funny how, you know, you, we mentioned this, the narrative changes week to week. You know, the Eagle, we come off of the Eagles losing in Carolina heading into the bye week and we, you know, everybody's saying, woe is the Eagles. Uh, you know, they can't beat a team with only one legitimate receiver and Greg Olson and uh, they can't stop the run and this and that and the other thing. And then Carolina goes out and puts a hurting on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers with all the stipulations that you mentioned. And it just reaffirmed how wide open this is. And, and you don't know, um, you know, they're four, the Eagles are four and four right now. They could very easily be Six and two. Six and two. They could be, you know, look over the next four to five weeks. Like we said, the Patriots are the game, is the game that looms. Um, but mean, none of the other games do. None of the not, other games you go in there saying, oh, look at, you know, they'll they'll take the ball away from the Eagles four or five times yeah, and it's, forget it. It's not out of the question that they've wrapped up just the division by the time they face the Giants and they're right. playing for a 10 and six record at that point. Here's my question to you. Who, who is, I had this discussion the other day with, I forget who, but who who is the front runner in the this god awful NFC right now? Right now it's Carolina to me. Okay, and then who's second? That is we I have think, obvious I, th- I mean Green Bay's the obvious choice, but they haven't looked great six and two. No. They're actually tied with Minnesota atop the NFC North at six and two. I, I don't look at Minnes- and I don't look at Minnesota and go, Ooh, Teddy Bridgewater scares me. Yeah. You know. Uh I just don't. Um uh, Atlanta then is six and three. I would probably put I think Atlanta, it would be very hard for me. A lot depends on who has home field advantage. Yes. Um, you know, if Green Bay has home field advantage, I would still consider them the front run over Carolina. Um, I'm not sure I wouldn't consider them the front run over Carolina. I, I'm just having a hard time believing this Carolina team, which is on me, because I, I, I've been calling them a fraud all season, but they certainly haven't looked like a fraud the last couple of weeks. But I think Atlanta's at home. I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure that I take Green Bay over Atlanta. I mean, that's just me. I have to see more of it. Yeah. And then this Arizona team, I don't know what to make of, really. Um, because, again, they're so home field dependent because it's so hard for that team to win. I mean, they can look like the best team in the NFL when they're playing on the West Coast, and then they travel to Cleveland, and you wonder, you know, where is this team that I've been hearing about? Right. I think Carolina's the, – the reason I might like Carolina a little bit more than you is I feel like their style of play, both pounding the football um, and on defense, translates well um, to this time of year. And you do have – you know, his statistics are not good, and he makes ridiculous throws at times. I mean, he, he practically gave the Packers yeah, but he an won, opportunity. Yeah, he won you, but he won the game, and, and Cam Newton, you know, is a is a terrific talent. And the dimension he gives them, you know, in third and short situations, I think is huge come come playoff time. When you get third and two and a six foot five, 250-pound quarterback who can keep it himself and extend drives, that's, that's a big deal. So let's say it's – so Carolina, the one seed with home field, I would assume – Green Bay, ah, ah, yeah, Arizona. 
say Arizona the two seed, Green Bay the three seed, and then that would put the winner of the NFC East as the four seed. Yes. So you're talking, I mean, basically what you're looking at is the Eagles getting, the possibility of the Eagles getting a home playoff game against in the, the wildcard weekend against the Fal- Seattle, the Falcons. Seattle, the Falcons, maybe Minnesota. Maybe Minnesota. I would like them against any of those teams. Yeah. I know? think, yeah. The Falcons would worry me a little bit, um, but not, not, not as much on the road, clearly. Uh, and then at that point, you're playing the, I mean, I don't think Arizona scares anybody uh, in terms of like just like Patriots. When I say scare, I mean like Patriots level scare, Packers level scare, where you're 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 driving up the Green Bay, la- you're flying up the Green Bay last year, knowing you're going to get blown out fifty three right. to whatever. Right. You know, I I I think any one of those games are going to be a, a one possession game. It seems like so. Yeah, I mean, this is the year. What do they have to do to get there? I would say that they have to. Uh, the, I think the defense is starting to t- concern me a little bit. I yeah. think they're. I think everybody's kind of regressing to the mean um and the eagles run game has looked a little leaky is that a concern yeah it is i think it is because i feel like their their greatest weakness as a defense since bill davis took over as the coordinator um and maybe you disagree with me on this is generally speaking stopping the thing that everyone knows is coming for instance week one in atlanta Everybody knows the Falcons want to throw the ball to Julio Jones. Everybody in the Georgia Dome knows it. Everybody in the press box knows it. Everybody in the Eagles sideline and on the field knows it. And the Eagles can't stop it, particularly when uh, they needed to after they had taken the lead. Uh, This is part of my concern with their struggles on third down. You know, okay, it's third and long. You know the team has to throw, the other team has to throw the ball or try a draw play. And time after time, it feels like they can't. Uh, meet the measure of that moment to, to get a team off the field. Uh, so that that is, in general, I feel like a concern. I'm not looking at this and going, oh, okay, well, I have a, a, a big worry about so-and-so at safety or, you know, Malcolm Jenkins didn't play all that well Sunday night. I have a tough time covering Cole Beasley. I'm not suddenly going to look at Malcolm Jenkins and say, uh-oh, there's a problem there. Uh, but just in general, I have that sense of, like, timeliness of it as being an issue, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think you saw it again against the Cowboys. Uh, Des Bryant, you know, they they marched down the field that yeah. first drive. It's it's weird. I mean, you saw it against the Giants. You saw it against the Panthers. Right? Yeah, and sometimes they figure it out. Like they, the Giants went to Odell Beckham a bunch early in that game and then didn't. And maybe part of that is because Beckham was banged up at the time. But, you know, they play the Redskins, for instance, twice last year. And Deshaun Jackson torches them in both games. Like, do you not know that he's the guy you got to cover down the field? I, I, that's that worries me, and so I would I would feel like a matchup against Atlanta would worry me in that sense if I were them, because for that reason that it doesn't matter that you might have home field advantage or the Falcons can't run the ball, the Falcons will try to get it to Julio Jones, and maybe the Eagles will be able to cover him, and maybe they won't. Uh, so yeah, there is some some leakage I feel like on that defensive line, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that Jordan Hicks who's been the most pleasant surprise of the entire season, arguably their best defensive player as a rookie is not going to play again this year because of that torn pectoral tendon. Yeah. Give me, yeah, let's, we'll get to that in a second, but I got some numbers to back you up here okay. real quick. Um, this isn't, this is kind of a tan, kind of tangential to your point, but the thing that's amazed me and, and you mentioned it here is, is how bad they've been on the first drive of the game defensively yes. compared, but not, it's not like that's a bellwether. Like they'll, they'll let, They'll just watch Eli Manning 
march down the field peppering Odell Beckham with passes on that first drive. And then all of a sudden you get to the end of the game and you realize you haven't heard Odell Beckham's name called since that drive, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And the Eagles right now are allowing 49 and a half yards on their opening drives, which is the third most um, in the NFL behind. Wow. Interestingly, the Bengals Hmm. and the, uh, the dolphins. Um, But yeah, it's, 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 it's bizarre. It is. It's. Too, it makes me think of two things. Number one, uh, it it kind of punctures uh, the idea that the defense does get worn down by the Eagles' pace. Right. I mean, which obviously they haven't played with the same sort of pace and tempo that they they did in Chip's first two seasons. Um, but it also makes me wonder about whether defensively they adopt the similar philosophy that they have on offense, which is getting a sense of what the opponent is going to do and then reacting to it. Chip's talk, Chip talks about that all the time as if, you know, it's not the aim of his offense to kind of dictate to the other team, you know, we are the Eagles and we are going to run the ball, throw the ball, do whatever we do, play with tempo. Chip seems to really favor the idea of like taking a step back and seeing what the defense is doing early in the game and then adjusting accordingly. And I wonder if that philosophy bleeds over into the defense as well. Like, let's see what they're going to do here, and then we'll figure out how to stop it. Well, they've allowed they've they've allowed a first drive score in five of their eight games, which is pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, three of those three of those being touchdowns. Um, but yeah, I mean Hicks is obviously the 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 big defensive concern, especially when coupled with D'Amico Ryan's. Uh-huh. Um, because it seems like I don't know I don't know what impression you've gotten, but it seems like they're you know he's kind of taking a step back. It seems. Oh, like. I think so, unquestionably that he's taking a step yeah, and back, I, and and that makes sense because anyone who tries to come back from Achilles is going to have problems with other parts of their body because they're compensating for the Achilles when they're running. Right, and you know the other factor is that at some point Kiko Alonso's got to look like a full time yeah linebacker, and when he's been out there so far this season, with the exception of that interception against the Falcons. He really hasn't. He's reacting late. He's he's still adjusting to getting back to. Yeah, that's going to be key. it's going to be imperative for Kiko Alonso to stay healthy the rest of the way and at least be be somewhat effective. I mean, Jordan Hicks has just been, you know, I don't I don't think he's ever going to be you know a dominant linebacker in this league just because he doesn't have the the size, strength, speed. But he was he was, he's going to be a starter for a long time, and he was he was especially in the past game um, a huge difference maker for this yeah. defense. Yeah, smart kid. You know, like you said, not the greatest athlete in the league, but you know, accounts for you know can can have kind of overcome that. I don't want to paint him as this like scrappy underachiever. That's not true. He's a big guy. He's an NFL has an NFL body, NFL physique, NFL speed. But you know, he's not Lawrence Taylor out there. But you watch that interception against the Cowboys. He makes a tremendous read on that ball that Castle oh, throws. Oh, it's a great play. You know, it's a great great play. It's a smart play, and that's what they're going to miss. Um, because Michael Kendricks sometimes is not the smartest player out there. He no. just isn't. So, I have a question as the guy who, on the couch on behalf of all the other people on the couch. Okay. You said something earlier, Mike. This is Jonathan Tannenwall from Philly.com, by the way. I'm the producer of the show. You said the Eagles have trouble stopping the thing that everyone knows is coming. How are they going to make a deep playoff run if they can't stop the thing that everybody knows is coming? That strikes, strikes me as a pretty big problem. It is a big problem. Um, it's what kept them out of the playoffs last year, really. Uh, when you think about it, they couldn't stop Des Bryant. They couldn't stop Deshaun Jackson. Uh, they couldn't stop the Seattle running game uh, in that three-game losing streak toward the end of the season. They have to get it fixed. They just do. Or they get some good fortune. They get, 
you know, the things that everybody knows is coming aren't playing well or get injured or something like that, but it's an issue. I mean, I don't think either Murph or I are, are sitting here saying this is a Super Bowl team by any stretch. The NFC is wide open. But I will say that if you look at the playoff teams, they don't necessarily have anything that you need to game plan around. I mean, Randall Cobb is a great player, but he's he's clearly been affected by Jordy Nelson. Uh, I've been very surprised at how ordinary Randall Cobb has looked at mm-hmm. times this year. Um, just struggling to get that separation in the slot. I mean, he looked very, he has always looked very dynamic in that offense and he just doesn't this year. So I, you know, he's not Julio Jones is the one guy. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the Falcons have Julio Jones, but the Panthers, I mean, there's no one guy that, you, no. I mean, Cam Newton, obviously, but I, I don't think the Eagles problem was that they struggled to stop the Panthers. No, um, no, they couldn't, they couldn't do anything offensively. That was the issue. Um, I'm trying to think who, I mean, Arizona, I mean, Andre Ellington, are you, are you scared of him? I mean, Larry Fitzgerald's obviously solid. These are solid teams with solid players, but I'm not sure that they have that one component. So to draw a baseball analogy, for example, we all watch the Cardinals and the Giants every year drive everyone crazy because they don't have anybody who especially stands out, but they always get hot at exactly the right time and go on the streaking run all the way to the World Series. I don't see the Eagles having everything quite together yet to make that kind of a run because I don't see them having, as you guys said earlier, that kind of consistency to start from. Well, that's why, I mean, we got, you got to see it the rest of the way. I, I, I mean, I agree with you, but I also think it's like, like Mike said, man, it's, it's week 10. Yeah. You know, I mean, last year, everyone had written the Patriots. The Patriots did not look like a playoff team last year in the first four or five weeks of the season. People were saying Tom Brady was done. Now everyone forgets they were saying that. And and he's obviously one of the top two quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, the Giants went to two Super Bowls and won two Super Bowls in seasons where they didn't look like playoff teams until December. Until the, until week 17. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that, what I'm saying is it's, this could be that kind of year. Um, you know, yes, it helps to have elite talent and be an elite team. But every now and then, you know, the Packers have a down year, the Seahawks have a down year. And then you get guys like Joe Flacco and Colin Kaepernick in the Super Bowl. You get guys like Eli Manning in the Super Bowl, nine and seven records. Um, I mean, I'm, this could be this is one of those years. This is one of those years field wise. It's, it's just whether the Eagles can take advantage of it. And I'm. You know, I, this is why Chip Kelly gets frustrated with us when we keep asking him all these momentum week to week questions. Because it, I mean, this, this league is literally a week to week game, and they were six and two last year at the same time. And where did they end up? That's right. That's right. And, and you know, and you you they should count themselves fortunate first of all that they're not in the AFC, where you have teams like the Patriots and the Bengals and the Broncos, um, you know, who are going who are really really formidable, and you know would I think tear through the NFC. Um, if they were in that conference, but obviously they're not. But again, you know, I, I, for instance, okay, let's let's build on, let, let's take Sam Bradford as kind of the, um, put him in the Petri dish for a minute. You know, nobody, you know, Murph notwithstanding in his, you know, belief that Bradford had been playing well except for the interceptions. Um, I don't think any, too many people were looking at Sam Bradford and going, yeah, you know, I can totally see him playing a, a clean game in a big divisional game and point at Jordan Matthews in overtime and saying, I'm coming your way, and then standing in the pocket while Greg Hardy's bearing down on him and, and Brent Selleck's trying to fend him off and just throw a rope to Matthews for a game-winning touchdown. Like, where did we see that? But it happened now, and so that changes the dynamic of, okay, is it possible that we're going to see a different Bradford the rest of the way, or is it just that was that week, 
that self-contained week, the Dolphins will come out and you know and sack him three times and force two fumbles and two picks and and we're back to where we were. I don't know. I think it's a week to, more the week to week thing than the trend thing. I think here's the encouraging thing I saw to Bradford. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll before we move on from the Eagles, which we're actually going to do for the first time in, in uh, podcast the long and illustrious uh, history, history of this, this podcast. podcast. We're going to move on and talk about something other than Eagles. We're going to talk about uh, what I like to call Missouri ta. The uh, <laughs> well played, the, I like it. The Missouri or the Missouri crisis. I hope that the, I hope that they don't if they if they do launch any uh, launch any diversity initiatives. I hope they don't you know call it like uh, the Missouri compromisers or something <laughs> like that because they that would, that would just oh, seem like that, that's awesome. That would just seem like something that that administration would manage to do. Yes. Um, but anyway, Bradford. But yeah, Bradford. I, the thing that I saw out of him that I've I actually, I've very rarely ever seen out of Sam Bradford going back to his, his Rams days, the the little the few games that he played there, uh, he moved around the pocket very well. Yes. Um, and he looked confident, and he was bouncing on his feet. Uh, you know, he was on the balls of his feet. It wasn't just standing back there. You know, at the outer rim of the pocket, he was moving around. Uh, you know, kind of like a fighter in the ring. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's uh, that was encouraging to me because it's not like he. You know, in the giant in the games that he had played well, or at least I believed he had played well, he, he was not under pressure. Mm-hmm. This game, he was under pressure, um, at least reasonable pressure. You know, where he had to move around a little bit and 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 find guys. And I thought he uh, he looked even more than the numbers. He looked a lot more confident, a lot more strong. His footwork was a lot better. And I saw. You know, I'm wondering if you know there is still we you know there is still a chance uh, that. There's a there was a kernel of truth in the notion that Sam Bradford just never got comfortable in St. Louis, never developed the rhythm, never had coaching, never had talent, never had an offensive line, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe there is some untapped potential there. I, I you know I'm not I'm not holding my breath for it, but I it's you can't rule that possibility out. No, you can't. And, and to piggyback on what you just said, I like what you mentioned about the, the kind of bouncing on the balls of his feet. If you watch Bradford in practice, and you've seen this in games too. One of the things that irritates me about him that he does from time to time is he'll take a shotgun snap and literally stand flat-footed in the pocket before delivering it as if he were playing catch with somebody in their backyard. And I hate that. Like it, You never see Brady, Rodgers, anybody else do that kind of thing. It, it, it's as if he, you know, I know where the ball is supposed to go and I'm not even going to pretend that it's going anywhere else. And it just, it looks bad. It just, it doesn't look like a guy who's, I don't know if engage is the right word, but it just looks like a guy like robotic almost. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, it looks like a guy who hasn't, is just not comfortable playing quarterback. Right. And that's I, the best way to describe what Sam Bradford looked like and actually has looked like, again, barring the interceptions as he's kind of progressed here is he's looked more comfortable. And I think that that's, you know, I think a lot of what we hold against Sam Bradford, it, it, I said this early in the season, like Sam Bradford's biggest weakness is that he can't look cool doing anything. Yeah. Like, like Sam Bradford could could you know star next to Bruce Willis in in a Die Hard movie and not look cool because he just looks like I mean he's just this like golly gee like, he looks like a guy from a comic strip you know I yeah mean, and he he's got does. these big sleeves and his <laughs> you know his his shoulders are like sloped and he's like got skinny legs and he's yeah. like and every, he's just kind of an he looks unassuming like, he looks like, like all me kind yeah of guy. he look, there's a picture of me my mom has uh, when I was seven or eight years old and I'm wearing I I, I got a uh, a uh, Rydell Hutch uh, 
imitation Randall Cunningham jersey. It's complete with football pants, football pants, jersey, and plastic helmet. And he, he looks a lot like I do in that picture. We, like we he, need to post this picture on yeah. Philly.com. You know what? I'll find it. Yeah. I was a cute kid. Send it to me. I'll get it taken care of right away. Yeah, all right. We'll, we'll, get, it, we'll get it up there. Um, we can post it next to the one where I ran shirtless at Jets practice a couple years ago. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I did the Tebow thing. I, I yeah. don't want to see that. Deadspin picked it up. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, so, so, so at the same time, Andy Martino was wearing a thong to spring training. You were running shirtless through the rain. No, Martino did the thong thing first. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm glad he's with Trent Center. But anyway, I think, in all, in all honesty, I think that's part of what we hold against Sam Bradford just because he... Appearances, yeah. yeah he just doesn't look... But I think if you actually look at, at, at his actual game over the last few weeks, there's reason to be, there's reason to be encouraged. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll ask, I'll ask him about that today when yeah. he talks. Yeah, that's a good idea. Now, moving on to the other topic we wanted to get to, which is um, the other kind of pro football, let's put it that yeah. way. Um, this is, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and, and you had, I thought, an excellent and thoughtful column today about the situation at the University of Missouri, in which, uh, well, why don't you, you break it down for us? Well, first of all, I, just, I, I would like to say that I, I told my editor, I, I pushed my editor to post it yesterday online because I thought there was a chance you might write about it, and I... <laughs> Now, in the I was, end, I was busy listening to Scott O'Neill explain why Sixers fans should be grateful. For yeah, which was great, which is obviously very pertinent. Um, Smallwood, John Smallwood actually ended up writing a column, which I actually thought could coexist with mine. Yeah. Um, but I also think that well, let's start with Small, John Smallwood's column, because okay. I think that while he laid out a very good case and, and I agree with everything he said from a microscope, micro, which is what, what did he say? He said that. Um, you know, look, these athletes, we should commend them for taking a stand. Um, nobody got hurt. They did it the right way. You know, they use nonviolent protests to, you know, affect change and all that's true, but it's just the implicate. Now I looked at the implications of all of that, mm -hmm. which I've actually, I don't know if for anyone listening, um, who's not familiar with my stance on college sports. I, I, I reached a point a couple of years ago where I just, started to think that they shouldn't exist um, in terms of big time college football and college basketball. Cause I just think that they create this atmosphere on campus. Um, that's not conducive. That's that, that can't coexist with the academic spirit. Um, like you can't be in the pro sports business and the academic business because they're just inherently conflicting institutions. Right. Um, and you're any, you're, you're, you're very rarely going to be able to feed both beasts. And I think we've seen that time and time and time and time again. Um, and I think this is like the this is the classic example of it. And I think if people gloss over the fact that a bunch of athletes overthrew the administration of a major research institution, you know, remark it was a it was a bloodless coup and a remarkably swift one. And all they had to do was say, "We're not going to we're not going to play." And and the additional dimension which you didn't have the time or the space, and really because it was a sports column, the inclination to get into, I think is some of the things that have since come out. Oh, yeah. Which is, for instance, there was, um, you know, the, the basis of the athletes' uh, protest was this idea that there have been these um, heinous incidents of racism on the University of Missouri's campus and the president and the administration haven't done enough to address them. Um, well, a couple of things have come out. Number one, there have been um, the student body president who last night on his initially on his Facebook page said there are... The, the KKK is on campus, then took it back. Right. Said, no, that, you know, no, that's not happening. Um, there have been news reports. There was a particularly um, 
interesting, I thought, news report, breakdown. Uh, one of the accusations of a, of a racist incident on campus was um, a, a person basically drawing a swastika on campus with his own feces. Right. Now, unless they have a crime lab at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, which I, I never understood that classified as a racist incident. I, I didn't either, but there's a report on a conservative website called The Federalist, which in which a reporter for this website lays out his attempts to verify that this incident actually took place. Are there any photographs of right. it? Did anybody take an uh, um, uh, iPhone video of it? He calls the University of Missouri. He calls police. There's nothing. There is literally, that doesn't mean it didn't happen, right. but there's no proof that it happened. So what that suggests to me is you, you've got two different things here. One, on the one hand, you have student athletes, football players standing up and saying, this is what we want. We want justice. But then you have the actual issue of whether what they want is just. Right. You know, and we're still learning about this story to get to the bottom of exactly well, what what led up to what was the predicate for all this protest? Yeah. And I so I when I was writing the column, I my, my goal was the because that is such a divisive issue. I, I'm of the opinion that you just can't have an honest conversation about anything. In no, I, I'm, these days. I'm right there with you Yeah, uh, because everybody sets a fact. Exactly. Diverge so much. And frankly, everyone is looking. You can't just isolate an issue and discuss it. Um, like for example, I, my column clearly resonated with a lot of conservatives, which is very rare for something that I write. Mm -hmm. I mean, I consider myself an issue by issue independent, but, um, but it like, it was like use, but, but people would, e they would email me, you know, and like, like I had just joined their cause, right. you know? And it was like, like every, like this, this incident was a referendum on America in general. Right. Yada, yada. You know, it's, and it's just like. It's just yeah. so hard to even like, you know, because everyone brings so many preconceived notions to it. So my goal was to like tease that out mm -hmm. and like set that aside and say, all right, you know, everyone's yelling at each other about this stuff, but this stuff, this stuff right here, I think we should all be able to agree. Right. And because very, it's, A, it's relevant to right. sports, which is the thing that we're supposed to be expert in. And two, it's very true. This idea of a four and five football team. I mean, really a football program then in the grand scheme of college football is utterly and completely irrelevant. They are, you know, this isn't Alabama. This isn't uh, Ohio State. This isn't a crown jewel of Division One. This is Missouri, which is always a middling program. And these, none of this would have happened if these players had not said, we want this to happen and we are willing to take football away from this institution to make what we want happen. And so that leads to, and I think this is what you're getting at, where does this go from here? You know, what kind of power? I mean, think of the power that these players have. Yeah, I mean, have. Think, let, let, let's even, let's even just, just to, for the sake of argument, say what the cause they were fighting for was just. Right. You know, just, just for the sake of the argument. Uh, at some point, you know, go back to Jacob and Jacob in France. Yeah. Maybe at some point, you know, the oppressors become, or the oppressed become the oppressors. And, and, you know, you're not going to agree with the ends that they seek. And I would say that, forget football players, when I was in college, I would not have wanted myself making policy decisions at a, you know, no institution of higher learning. And it's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous situation where uh, a football team has so much power. And, and you know, it's almost you know, irre, irre, irretractable power. 
Right, because they're responsible. Because they for, have so much money. Right, I mean, they're they, responsible for if revenue. They missed. I saw. I saw a stat that if, if Missouri had missed a home game, that meant a a million dollars in revenue just in you know gate receipts. That's what I wanted to jump in on. Is that even if they had said, okay, fine, we're not going to have a football game. The real fear, I my deep cynicism was the real fear was that they were going to lose the million dollars. Of course it was. And and my other point to go some back to something that you said earlier about the guy with the whole swastika thing. It is still an offensive incident, even if it wasn't right. race related. Absolutely. And I wanted to make sure that I. Oh yeah, but I but 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 I've had a difficult time, and again I I, I tried not to get too much into this just because it just things spiral off right, onto that right. path. Um, but I just had a difficult. I spent a lot of time even trying to understand what was going on, you know, like what they were what they wanted, um, you know what the what the univer- I still don't understand what the university president did wrong, other than being rude to somebody who tried to approach him at a homecoming parade. Right, and, right. and again, it sounds like this guy, I'll say this, let, let me just put my blanket statement out there, which I, I kind of did in the column. I am of the opinion um, that it's almost, it's almost pointless to look at the, the, the ration or the reason of a public protest because they're inherently irrational devices. They're, 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 they're the last, they're the, the last straw, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, whatever their reasons, the fact that this number of people are upset about something, um, including thirty football players who very rarely engage in this kind of thing, suggests almost self-evidentially that something is wrong. Now, maybe it's not. Maybe the things that they they've chosen to isolate. Maybe maybe the things that. Let's look at the Arab Spring. We're really going all over the place. <laughs> no, yeah, because I, I would take issue with that. Like like if you if they've put it, there was a statement by somebody by I guess the person leading the, the hunger strike. Right. You know, which which was the predicate for all this. Um, you know, if you look at the incidents, and we've mentioned a couple, right, but, the you know. I would take issue with the idea that something must be wrong. No, no, Something's no. wrong with everything, you know, like right, in this but, world. Right, but, but so... so, you, so he, you can find any little well, I know. nugget to turn into a protest right, if you want. Right, but the thing that you... The thing that, the thing that you're witnessing right now is the reaction of people who, who feel marginalized. And, peop, and, and marginalization is something that transcends individual events to the point where individual events to somebody who does not feel marginalized do not look justified, you know... Mm-hmm. But to people who feel marginalized, they push them over the top. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand uh, that. Like, like, look at some of the, again. Let me just say this before you keep going. Okay. I would just say that in context, I wonder if the idea of that there's, there's really being marginalized and there's stuff that doesn't go your way and you don't know how to deal with it, so therefore you feel marginalized. Right. And I'm wondering where on the spectrum these some of these complaints come down. Well, I, and I, I don't think that it's, you know... And again, here's my thing about this is where I think the disconnect comes, especially on racial topics. It, it's impossible for anybody who has not grown up in black and who has not grown up black in America to understand what it feels like or even any minority in America. You know, if you're not it, it's impossible for anyone who's not been a part of a minority to know what a minority feels like. Like it just I, I, I try to picture it all the time and I can't like I know what I feel like when I walk, you know, through North Philly and I'm only on the only white guy in there mm-hmm. is like, is that what a black person feels like anytime they walk into a room full of white people, you know, it's like, I just can't, mm-hmm. like, I can't put myself in those shoes. Now, 
let's keep on dialing it back. Missouri, one of the most complicated states in our union, one of the most the states with one of the most complicated histories in our union. Um, you know, the Missouri Compromise, we joked about it earlier, but, I, you know, that was the that's what started the path to the Civil, Civil War. War. Right. Um, the Dred Scott decision was made in, in Missouri. Missouri. Uh, Missouri made in Washington, but it dealt with a case. And, 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 yeah. and I guess this is what I come back to. And everyone says, you know, slavery has been over for, you know, 200 years. Get over it. We're not going to we're not going to keep apologizing for it. Well, the University of Missouri did not admit its black, first black student until 1950. My dad was born in 1957. Um that's three or four generations have separated the University of Missouri being an all white school to today. Mm-hmm. There's something, you know, stuff just doesn't change overnight. You know, I mean, what I'm saying is, even if the incidents in a vacuum do not appear to warrant um, the outrage or the tactics that were used, and I would agree, you know, like, I agree with the president when he said this is not the way you handle disputes. Right. But this is the way when you feel like you have no other way to handle a dispute, this is the way you choose to dispute them. Or you or you decide this is the way we get the result quickest that we want. Uh yeah, but but I mean it's like I guess all I'm saying is that clue I'm a little more cynical about their motivations. I think well, what, what, what were the football players' motivations then? I think the football. I, I think the football players. I think the environment on on many college campuses now, um, and I think if you see some events that are going on at Yale um, that have gone on at other universities around the country, um, I think students tend to be at some level hypersensitive in a lot of situations. I wonder if that played some role here. I haven't heard football players. Um, you know, one one of the, for instance, one of the incidents that that predi- that led to all this was the idea of uh, somebody driving by a football player or a student, a black student on the University of Missouri campus, and saying something racist and hateful to them. Now, obviously, that should not happen ever. I'm not I'm not saying it should, but the student seemingly reacted by all reports as if the 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 strong reaction seemed to come out of the idea that he had never experienced anything like that before. If you've, if you've dealt with things like that your whole life, you don't react, it seems to me. You, you say, okay, I've been dealing with this my whole life. I deal with it. It doesn't make it right. It just means that... See, I disagree. I think that, you know, again, the closest approximation I can ever find for myself it, when I put myself in that situation, I'm, there's always a point where something stupid sets you off. Like for example, take take for example, I, I, <laughs> I feel I hate traveling. Okay. Like I feel caged. I feel talked down to kind of constantly between the time I leave my car mm-hmm. to the time I get on the airport. Everyone, you know, the security officers are running their hands up and down in your body. They're yelling. They're barking mm-hmm. at you. The the you know. People making $9 an hour are yelling at you to get in line. You know, the flight attendants are yelling at you for having your laptop out. You're confined in a closed space. You, 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 I just, I love going to football games, but I hate traveling. At the end of my trip to Dallas on uh, Saturday night, I got to the rental car counter. And they would not take my um, license because 
I just renewed it and I didn't have the physical, I had my old license with mm -hmm. the old expiration date on it and the paper that said, this is your new expiration right. date. And they wouldn't take it. And it was company policy. And it was a silly, it was, it was silly. Like I was at, but I blew up. Mm. Like I, like it set me, I'm, you know, I, I yelled at the manager. I yelled at everyone. I was like, I felt like Brick, Brick McHenry in that, in that, you know, part. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, right. And that's what, and it was stupid. And when I look at it, when I look back on it, mm -hmm. then the following day, I'm like, man, I, you know, I definitely was not justified in getting that upset over something when this lady was just enforcing her company's policy. Right. But I had been, I had gotten to the point where I'd been dealing with so much other stuff that day with regards to, you know, people in authority positions telling mm -hmm. me where to be and what to do right. that okay. it, it just made me blow up. And I think that's kind of what happens in these situations where you, you know, it, look, yeah, but you didn't, didn't then use that incident, um, to lead a boycott of national rent a car company. No, but at, at that point in time, I felt like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that like that, think about it. I guess my point is if I got that mad and I would that fear, I did go on to their, I did go on to their uh, Google Plus page and say that the manager was the worst manager I've ever dealt with and should be fired, you know, like, mm -hmm. which again, the next day I'm like, man, she's, you know, that's kind of, it's kind of rude of me. But, but, but if I get that upset over one day of travel, you know, mm. uh, when I'm hungry and, and whatever, you know, imagine your entire life walking through, if you, it, you know, especially if you feel like you've been marginalized in America, you know, if, if, you know, if, I mean, I, I think that that, that's how I that's that's how I relate to it, Jonathan. First question that I have is whether or not, and look, I, I would like to be idealist idealistic enough to believe that the Missouri football players realized that they because they are the football players, they had a special opportunity to take the lead on an issue, and they would be given more prominence than other students at the university would. I also think that. A college campus, as it has been for decades, going back to Kent State and everything else, and it's had plenty of times in Philadelphia at all the schools around here and at Penn State, that the college campus is the right environment for people who are struggling with ways to express themselves to try to find a way to do it. And what it requires is an academia and an administration that helps to foster the right kind of dialogue. And that's where I think the problem lies to some degree at Missouri and also at a number of other places, including schools in Philadelphia, including historically the right. alma maters of all three of us in this room, LaSalle and Penn, um, where if the administration is seen to be 30,000 feet above a problem and not paying attention to what's actually going on at ground level on the campus, and that does happen at a lot of large universities all over the country, including, as I said, some around here, that that's a problem where I think the student the students are right to stand up and and maybe they don't always make the noise in the right way but that's part of the learning experience for them and for the university and that's how you hope the resolution gets sure I, I mean i would agree with all of that i mean i think you know i mean that's what's so fascinating about this story i mean we've been like murphy said we, we're trying to parse it down in a way and he certainly tried to do that and did it very well in his column let's keep it on the sports end of things but the fact of the matter is this this mushrooms into a million different places you can talk about the way that administrators, administrations at universities and colleges around this country have ballooned because of the idea of, well, the American 
family feels like they have to send every, you know, you have to go to college to get a job and you have to take out as many loans as you possibly can to be able to pay for that. And, or, you know, and I mean, I I think it's more on the supply side where the college is just, I mean, with these colleges, but my point is they take that and the colleges take that money in and what do they use it for? They use it to hire more administrators, you know, who in turn are 30,000 feet above the students and build their, which is the irony of it. Right. And build these Frankenstein athletic programs that end up overthrowing, which is why, look, just to to address your point, because I think that's kind of spiraling off in a separate issue too. I think clearly one thing that most people can agree upon is some, this administration failed somehow. Yeah. It shouldn't have got, I would agree. They shouldn't have gotten to this point, but that's, but to, to kind of steer it back, like, I guess your argument essentially is if this really was a case of college students throwing a tantrum because things didn't go their way, I would think that we would see this a lot more often. I think that I think we're seeing it more often nowadays. Yeah. I think but, if you look at the situation as again, again, as I said, you look at the situation at Yale, you look at speech codes, the rise of speech codes driven by students. What are speech uh, codes? The idea that there are words that uh, should not be used on yeah. the college campus. Yeah. Which is, and again, this happens sometimes when college newspapers print op-eds that some portion of the campus population doesn't, right. doesn't like. And, and, and what you're seeing more and right. more now is um, this happening in the classroom where professors are, are you know, being taken to task by students for teaching certain texts, which students regard as offensive or hurtful or things like that. I mean, again, we're, we're swirling. We could take this in a million different um, directions. But yeah, I mean, again... I think like the one the one thing I my point my my only point is this I don't know whether the athletes themselves threw a temper tantrum okay I think what we've seen in certain student and faculty members reaction to what has happened the idea of like you know keeping the media away and, oh, and yeah, creating safe spaces and things yeah, like that I think that is that is an issue that is cropping up to me on college campuses a lot nowadays and I don't know how we extricate that from what we're talking about with respect to the football players and the power they have well, and whether they were justified in wielding it now. Yeah, and I would say, again, you know, I, this, this goes back to, see, I, I feel like, yes, there's an outrage epidemic in this country. Um, you know, I, I, I shudder sometimes. I, you know, yesterday was not, I, I was very depressed yesterday because, you know, Ray Ray Armstrong was being investigated for barking at a police dog, and um, people are complaining about Starbucks Christmas cups. Yeah, the New York Attorney General was was going after daily fantasy sites, and it's just like you look you look around this country sometimes, and you're like, guys, like, are you seeing where all this is headed? Like, yeah. we, we don't want to live in a society like this. Uh, but I think that it's. I also think that there is a tendency in this and this is going back to all the the you know black Lives matter stuff and Mm -hmm. and and ferguson stuff um there's a tendency on the part of of you know people in the majority to look at these incidents as isolated uh you know to look at the reaction to these incidents as isolated when in reality the reaction comes from from you know to loop quality or uh most in in his in his song mathematics says why do why did one straw break the camel's back because there's a million other straws mm-hmm. underneath it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, we're looking at the one straw where I think w- what the reaction at Missouri would suggest to me, I, you know, I think a lot of it is like, you know, even to, to, to take it into uh, even more, <laughs> even more politically dangerous territory. I want the show to stay on the air. Yeah, so yeah, be yeah. careful. But I'm saying like, 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 like a lot of the rape outrage, you know, similarly, like I think that, you know, you look at, 
you look at the Rolling Stone story, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, you know, people will latch onto that and be like, see, some of this, you know, rape culture stuff is all BS. You know, it's a manufactured, it's manufactured by the media where, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that's true in certain incidences, but I think that a reaction as visceral as the one you see to that and the as, as visceral as you see to some of the, the police brutality and, and, and racism stuff is more, um, you know, a marginalized group finally being empowered to speak up after a, a, a long history of being exposed to, um, you know, rape culture or police culture or what? Does that make sense? Can it I bring does. this back to sports ever yeah. so slightly? Sure. Uh, more out of fear than yeah. anything else. <laughs> no, but I mean, um, um, but Gary, but, when Gary Pinkle, the football coach of Missouri tweeted that he supported the players mm-hmm. And they had the photo of all of the players on the team, black, white, and everybody else all standing together arm in arm. Mm-hmm. That, I think, was a sign to me. And again, it's one, it's one instance. And, and you're right that we all always take one instance and blow it out of proportion because that's how we do things for a living. And it's how all three of us in the room get paid in a lot of ways. Um, but when I saw that, you know, I mentioned earlier on the show about the administrators taking the right kind of teaching role. That when I saw Gary Pinkle being willing to get emotionally invested in this and stand with his players and get all of his players to stand with the African-American players on the team. That was a signal to me about number one, not all of his players stood with the the African-American players. There's a report on ESPN. Yeah, though that you're right about that. There were many players in the photo. Number two, Gary Pinkle wants to keep his job. Yeah. This is a great diversion for Gary Pinkle, actually. Yeah. I mean, he has nothing to lose by backing the players. And he He actually has everything to win. He doesn't because if he doesn't back the players, he backs the administration, it's possible he gets fired anyway. And then if you're Gary Pinkle, try to get hired somewhere when you've undercut your players. Like the whole, the, the, one of the bases of being a good coach is having guys play for you. Do you think another university that hires Gary Pinkle, who sold out his players, you know, whether he was right or wrong, Gary Pinkle's not getting another job if he doesn't back his but, players. But again, let's, let's, I know, I know, we, I know it's uncomfortable to talk about social stuff, but, but I think, I don't, I think we're fine here. Yeah. Um, what it comes down to is marginalized groups are subjected to feel subjected to. And again, I know where you're coming from. I know, you know, you can say, well, that's silly to feel that way or life's tough. I'm not saying it's no, 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 no. Like, you know, life's tough, get a helmet, like whatever. But until you've been a member of a group that does not have power, or feels like it does not have power. And that's the important thing, the feeling like it does not have power, that feels under, maybe representation is the best, that feels underrepresented. That's the, I, I, I drew a brief allusion to this in my column. Um, we could say all the things we're saying right now about the people who led the American Revolution. Like, like really guys, like, come on. Like just, you know, you don't want to be taxed. Like you don't want to pay a whiskey tax. Like it's, it, you know, guess what? death and taxes that's what america's all about you know like really you think you think uh the best way to handle things is to dress up like indians and go destroy tea that probably helps pay you know for some of your loved ones jobs and yada 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 i mean the you know the luddites went out and destroyed the machine you know destroyed Mm -hmm. the industry that they were you know a part of this it's just it happens in human history and for whatever reason uh that's just the way people deal with things this is this is the way you know protest evolves and to me it's, it's almost not worth looking at the means it's 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 a you know you need to look at the ends and say well clearly something is wrong because this large amount of people feels one way about one issue and if they if that large a group of people feels one way about one issue 
then that issue's real. Do you know what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. I wonder where it stops. You know, that's well, I my think question. it stops when you, the problem, one of the reasons I think it stopped is because people diminish it and minimize it and say, well, there's not really a problem. No, my, I'm, well, talk, I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about protests and demands for change. I, I think people I just want to feel like they're being listened to and that they're being talked to. And I think when you're I a think member you are of a, underselling. I think I hear, when, right. But listen, when I think you're a member of a student body that is 83% white, that is in a state that did not, that is at an institution that did not allow its first black student until 1950, um, that is two hours away from where the Dred Scott decision said that um, uh, people of, with your color skin are property and don't have any rights. I think that all of that, you, you tend to look at things through a different frame and you, you tend to, you tend to feel, you tend to, uh, your, your, your default mode tends to be thinking that no one's going to listen to you or take you seriously. And you, you, you need to act more extreme to get people to listen to you and take you seriously. I, would I think be, that's where it stops. I would, I would be stunned. I would be stunned if any of the, the football players who protested were thinking, were giving a thought to Dred Scott. But, but I mean, what I'm saying is that's that's latent. Like that's that's part of the African American experience growing up in America. Like it's just what you it shapes everything. Do you know what I'm saying? But like it doesn't. But but yeah, it's there and it's relevant. It doesn't it doesn't have to be the overriding force in anyone's life. No, but it plays in your psychology. Like, like I guess what I'm saying is you can't understand. Like it's I don't I don't think I mean that that may be I'm not saying it's irrelevant. I'm saying you're basically. Like, I'm just saying it's all part of it. Like you're, 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 you're again, there's, but a there's no, no evidence to suggest that that's part of what's driving these football players. Not, and again, you're looking at things as like a, 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 uh, I'm looking at things in their latent form. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, again, like, it's just like, like, again, like the whole, like the, the whole, we're, again, we're getting back into stuff that can't even really be like summed up in you're words, right. but, right. but, but, it's hard for me to understand how anyone can tell somebody else how to feel um, being in their own body. And it's, it's clearly, um, I think one of the reasons we don't have a dialogue is because people say, well, you shouldn't feel that way because that was 200 years ago. I'm, not, sa I'm not saying anybody, well, what are you saying? That's I'm, sa what I'm not saying anybody shouldn't feel anyway. I'm, I'm dealing with the actions. I'm, tr I'm trying to, to come up with a reason, even if you felt that way, how do you go about getting things the way, like, what then do you want if you feel that way? Well, it what is on, your aim then? Well, again, like, I, I do think... Do you want to not feel marginalized anymore? Do you yeah, want to... Yeah, I think that's okay. probably everyone's so, goal. So what, how is what is happening going to make those it's students feel not, that it's way? It's probably not, which is why it's a separate issue. Okay. But yeah. I, I guess my point is, that the problem that, the, like, Mike asked, why does it stop or what do they want? The, part of the problem is that every time it gets to a point where people start to feel uncomfortable, they turn, they change the topic. And, it, and it's that then nothing's ever discussed um, because, again, like I think Mike's a very smart dude and Mike thinks I'm a very smart dude. But there's like a fundamental disconnect on the way we view, um, you know, the underlying issues about this stuff. And I I'm not even I'm not even certain that that, you know, our our, our views. I'm not sure they exist. No, they can't. My whole point is that you're looking at it and saying I feel like you're looking at it and saying, well, this this is it's these these incidents look kind of silly to be getting all worked up about you know like it's not the best way to it's, you know if you really do 
you know, want whatever end you want. This is not the way, this is not the issue. This is not the hill that you should be, you know, taking a stand on necessarily. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is based on what I have read about the incidents that prompted this among them, you know, the, the, the whole incident initially is born out of a, a, a graduate student in Missouri going on a hunger strike. Okay. The graduate student, as it turns out, is from a family worth $20 million. And part of the reason that he went on the hunger strike was that, um, Missouri no longer provided its graduate students health care. Again, separate discussion. But the point is that I look at, the, based on what I've read, I look at the incidents that precipitated what has happened at Missouri. And I say to myself, <clears throat> this does not, to, in my eyes, in a vacuum, rise to the level of something that would prompt these sorts of protests and demands. Now, it doesn't mean that that, that, the people who object to what has gone on can't express that view. But I'm looking at this and saying, if, you're, if, if we're going to take it to this pitch over these things, then what, what productive is, at, what, how, how are we ever going to dialogue? Because we've gotten really quickly to the point where one side is saying to the other side, you make me feel bad, you are not allowed here. Right. And that makes me yeah. terrified. Yeah, absolutely. and I think so. Again, I think that's right there. Before and after, the, the, those are the two. The, the second one, I agree with you on this. The the, the first one, um, I would say it's real quickly. It's not. It's never about these things when it comes to being um, a a you know underrepresented group in America. Number two, the the second part. Yeah, I. I don't know where this whole thing has come from. And it's just been like the last five years, like the whole safe space. Yeah. Like college has changed a lot, man. Cause like that, you know, I, that was never, that, that was never even a topic of conversation. This is what I'm wondering though, whether the end game here and granted, I'm going to be a little idealistic about this one, whether the end game here is better college administrators. People hire the same kinds of college administrators all the time. In fact, I mean, it, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, the best thing I could come up with is I just don't understand because these kids like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's just like maybe all these kids came up in the Twitter age and they're just like used to like sharing their feelings all the time and like thinking people should, you know, I think I think social media has made it a lot easier for us to build our bubbles of people who are echo chambers I, of people who agree with us. And, 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 I, and, and I think part of this, too, is, you know, and I'm going to sound really old here. Uh, but I am the oldest guy in the room. You know, I do think there is, again, a, there's a societal element in the sense of the rise of the internet age, I feel like, has led to a reformation of community and how we form our identity. Right. You guys may have been the same way, but I, one of the greatest, the greatest lessons I learned as a kid didn't necessarily come from my parents. They came from going out and playing wiffle ball or street football, and it was organic, and it was... If you were annoying or if you tried to be bossy and take over the game, you might have got a – now I sound like I'm an old tough guy, right. you know, like back in my day. But And I don't mean to, but I do think there's some value in this. Like kids didn't want to play with you anymore. Right. And you got over that that sense of like I'm all – you know, I need to be safe real fast. Right. But what, I, what I'm getting at is I think that what happens – one of the reasons why we don't – we can't have an honest dialogue is because people – People will focus on some of these ancillary issues involved, and I think that's an ancillary issue. I think it maybe it has amplified, you know, whatever whatever the eth or the the ethos of of this of this generation is, you know, that that you know, 
whatever the millennial See, I, okay. now, the I, millennial I would, mindset like I, I, th- I would disagree with that because i think that's right at the core of this yeah, if that's right. if that's what's guiding some of the student reaction to this then i think that's right at the core well, of the matter yeah and i th- i mean i think but i think i think it's it's da- not danger i don't know if i want to say dangerous but to diminish again i'm getting back to the whole marginal marginalization issue and that when you when you grow up as a marginalized, you know, when you grow up as an underrepresented, when every when all the black neighborhoods are poor, you know, and all the white neighborhoods are rich, like that just like that kind of stuff feeds into your, you know, it, it shapes you. I mean, it's nurture. Like this is all we're all blank slates when we're born, you know. Um, and I think by the time you get to the, something like this happening, all of that stuff comes into play. And the only way to address it is to address some of the fundamental. I, th- I think it all comes down to inequality, and it comes to address. We live in a very unequal society. I don't think I'm not a socialist by any means, but I do think that that you know that's th- th- this will always happen in an unequal society. Marginalized groups will always rise up, uh, you know, and they will, a lot of times it, they, it will happen. You know, the Arab Spring, Spring stuff happened, you know, over some stupid stuff, you know, but it was it was. Or, or the tactics at least were involved were, were relatively stupid and unproductive at times, but it happened because of a long, a long history of underrepresentation. And I think the only way to fix that is to, um, you know, have a more equal society, but it would be nice, you know, just, just since, cause we're recording this on Wednesday, um, and the Republican presidential debate on Fox business channel, it'd be nice if a year from now, not a year from now, let's say six, eight months from now, Whoever Hillary Clinton and whoever candidate X is from the Republicans could do this. I right. mean, I, I don't say that. But, I, yeah. not, I don't mean that glibly, and I don't mean it cynically. I mean that, like, sit down with two mics and a camera and talk like this. Um, you know, because I don't think you know you and I are all that far apart in what we're getting at. It's a matter of, you know, it's it's. Shades of gray, and and we should probably play like a Beatles song or something like that at this point. Yeah, but I mean, look, I I, I didn't I, I didn't anticipate talking about this for forty five minutes yeah. today. Um, but yeah, but it's a meaty thing. I it, mean, it is, is like it, it's a fa- that, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing. But I, I the only my only point is I don't think that we should demand. I I think that I'm with you in the sense that it really bothers the whole like outrage culture really bothers me. The whole um, you know, my feelings are hurt thing bothers me. Um, but I think that it's, it would be dangerous to allow your, uh, allow your, uh, distaste for that to nullify and nullify the, nullify all concerns that are raised. No, and they, but they don't, but they don't. I'm, 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 I think I'm more dealing with this situation in and of itself. And given what we seem to be finding out about the nature, the genesis of it, that makes me wonder. Yeah, and the, you know, the, just the divide between us is I feel like the genesis is, you know, it's a lifetime of feeling underrepresented, upper resident, up underrepresented. And as soon and and I think there's also it, it's 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 almost worthless to tell somebody, well, you shouldn't feel that way. You know, like if they feel that way, they feel that way. And you know, the 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 Minutemen, you know, the the British the British soldiers told the colonists they shouldn't feel that way. Um, well, guess what? We live in America now. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is you ignore populism, however irrational at your own peril. Okay. Anyway, Sam Bradford, Sam Bradford, Jordan Hicks, race, class, education. We covered it all here today. Not for one day. I think Jonathan Tannenwald is so nervous. (laughs) (laughs) 
he's afraid, and you know, and the FCC is going to burst through the door and at any minute. The and good just news, shut us down. The good I, news, no one listens to this podcast. So, well, I'm trying to do something about that too. So. All right, all right. Well, listen for uh, for Dave Murphy. I'm Mike Sealski. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll be back at you next week.